Kia ora, welcome to the service this morning. Why don't you grab yourselves a seat? It's wonderful to have you here. Special welcome if it's your first time you're a guest. It's lovely to have you with us this morning. Now, in your newsletter, if you've had a chance to read it, you will see uh, a big ad there for the upcoming quiz night. Quiz night is a legend in our church calendar. Now, one of our most regular attenders is someone who attends online, um, Naomi Cowan, because she is in Auckland, so that makes it a bit tricky to come here in person. But last year, Naomi and husband John flew down for quiz night to join with us, and they won. So here is, so Naomi may be online now. Hello, Naomi, if you are, but... We need, we need to practice, people. Christchurch needs to beat Auckland, not just in rugby, in the quiz. So here's the challenge. Find your friends who are extremely clever and good at quizzes. Bring them along so we have a good, challenging team. Um, so it's Friday night, the 5th of August. It's a fundraiser, um, and it's always a super fun night. Now, to get into the vibe of quizzes and to get you practicing, before the kids go out, we have a few questions here, just three questions about our city. So it's three questions about Christchurch, and then we're going to pray for Christchurch after this. So here is the first question. How much has the projected cost of the stadium build gone up since 2019? How much has it gone? Is it A, 50 million, B, 150 million, or C, 200 million? Turn and talk to your neighbour. What do you think it is? A, 50 million, B, 150 million, C, 200 million. Okay, good quiz is a fast quiz. If you think the projected cost of the new stadium for Christchurch has gone up since 2019, 50 million, 150 million, 200 million, C is correct. So it went up 50 million and then it's gone up another 150 million. So altogether, 200 million higher is the projected cost. Second question, the sewage plant round things, what are they called? Filtration, yeah, those. How many, how much of it have they cleared out of the trickle waste system? Have they cleared out half of one, a full one, or one and a half of the trickle, the trickle one? Turn to your neighbour, what do you think it is, half? A whole one, or one and a half? No, you can't. You can see the questions. Half of one, one, one and a half. Okay, what do you think it is? Who thinks it's half of one of them they've cleared out? Who thinks they've cleared out a whole one? Who thinks they've cleared out one and a half? The correct answer is they've cleared out one whole of, of the stinky ponds. So a whole one. Well done. Who's so far got two out of two quiz questions right? Ooh, look at that. Okay, the final question. We've got local body elections coming up soon. So that's for the mayor and our city councillors. Who can name two or more candidates standing for the mayoralty? Who can name two or more? Turn to your neighbour. See if you can name two or more of the candidates standing for the mayoralty. can name four? Who can name three? Who can name two? Okay, two. We've got, we've got a two. Graham, what are your two? Meats. So we've got two. Do we have anyone else who knows the third that I'm aware of? Anyone else? I think it's Mike Davidson. Is that, I think that's his name, one of those sorts of names. There we go. We don't, we don't have a lot of engagement yet. What we're going to do now is pray for our city because we've got some big issues ahead. And let's pray for um, our city and for the future leaders. 
God, you know this city. And you know everyone who lives in it and you love them. And God, we have some issues facing our city. We have to make a decision about the stadium with its huge cost blowout and implications for that. The people are working hard to clear the sewerage and that is affecting people around them who live in that area. And God, there are people putting their hands up saying we want to run this city. And we just give all these issues to you. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for courage. And we pray for good leadership for our city. Amen. Okay, kids, you can now head off to your programs. And if the rest of us would like to stand, we will continue our service together.
just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for blessings
God, I pray that today in this place there'd be a moment where we can encounter your presence and know your incredible, incredible love and grace and kindness and mercy towards us. May we go from this place changed. Amen. Grab yourselves a seat. Now, a few weeks ago, I, at the nine o'clock service, was at our little, beautiful little church, St. Mark's in Marshland. And I asked a few other people, could you preach at the nine o'clock service while I'm at the other one? And there was a resounding, I'm away that week. And it came down to the wire, and Steffi, who runs all our technical stuff here, said, well, I could do it if you want. And I was like, sure, because at this point, I was like, yes, there's someone putting their hand up. And so Steffi, during the week, came over, and she practiced on me. And I was like, this is really good. <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised, but, you know, dark horse. And then I come back from St. Mark's for the 10.30 service, 9 o'clock, and I'm greeted. And every person that I come through the door says, Steffi was really good. Steffi was great. And just person after person, so guess what you guys get? said to Steffi, right, you're preaching that at the 10.32. So in a minute, Steffi's going to come and preach to us on a difficult passage that turns out to be one of her favourites. That is good news. <laughs> so I'm going to read to you this passage, and it's from the book of Luke chapter 8. So they arrived in the region of the, I can see why you made me read this, Gerasenes, <laughs> across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. And when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People had rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed, and all the people in the region of Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Hi everyone. So I have been trying to follow Jesus for a year, maybe two, before I ever encountered this passage. I think maybe it's one of, it's kind of like the man himself, one of those passages we kept hidden away. We can't talk about demons, can we? I don't know, and actually for the most part I don't plan to. I remember the first time I heard this story. I was sitting on the floor of a small marae and live in and I remember thinking, yes, this is the kind of God that I could throw everything I am, everything I have into following. And it wasn't the healing or the political allegory that struck me. It was encountering the power of God to transform a seemingly hopeless situation and the heart of God 
for radical inclusion. Even to the point of possibly tanking an entire economy by getting rid of their pigs. And so here we have one man, homeless, naked, living in the tombs, unable to be contained by shackles, his life taken over by multiple demons, unclean by Jewish standards, totally separate, totally other. And we have a town, still scarred from the memory of Roman violence, creating a scapegoat out of this man. Perhaps the saddest part, the saddest part is that this man and this town have become so accustomed to this dim reality that the man asked Jesus, why is he interfering? And then we have Jesus, who at this point in his life has crowds of followers coming to hear him speak. And he chooses to heal this man. And the healing is a miracle, but it opens up a bigger miracle, a pathway for this man to be included in his community again, a seemingly hopeless situation transformed by God's radical inclusion through the person of Jesus. And so when I came home from Levin, I was pretty relentless in my enthusiasm for the story. Relentless, but also quite annoying. So no one really um, caught on to this. But yeah, I just, I was so excited by the idea of a God that goes to great lengths to put the outcast at the center. And so not really knowing what I was doing, I went in search of the places where this passage felt like it was fully alive. And my search took me to this place. This is a boarding house in Western Porirua. It's also an abandoned psychogeriatric ward. And at one point it was a homestay for Japanese students. So you walk past this grimy pond featuring overweight goldfish trying pretty hard to look like koi. White doves are drinking out of dirty water and men gather in a haze of smoke and liquor. Fresh holes are in the walls from fist fights and call bells hint back to its nursing days. This place has this reputation for being the kind of place you go when you have nowhere else to go. So maybe you're fresh out of prison or you've come out from the psychiatric hospital down the road or you've been kicked out of your flat. Well, oddly enough, maybe you are the brain injury rehab facility that couldn't afford rent in the more affluent part of town. It's not run by saints either. There's a man in his 50s sitting with his feet on the desk smoking cigarettes in what used to be the nurse's station. And he's promising to cut you a deal if you look young and pretty. So here I was, 20 years old, in search of a place where the radically inclusive kingdom of God was in a place that the census didn't even know to go. So I moved into this building, made it my home for the better part of the year. I think you can even see my bedroom. Oh, nearly, I'm the second one along. And I did what all 20-year-olds know how to do. I ate and I made friends. There was James, recently out of prison, desperate to go back. He, no one wants him here. He couldn't find a friend or a job. At least in prison, he knew how things worked. Even the police didn't come when he got robbed. And then there was Solomon. All he wanted to do was make a feathered cloak. But in his culture, that is reserved for men of high standing, and Solomon was a man of no standing. Then there were the brain injury guys, living days, long days of sameness, very few vis visitors. And there was a man that told us to call him uncle. He'd done time for catching too many power. I, I remember him particularly for this one moment where I was at work, I worked at the brain injury rehab facility and my colleague said, Steffi, don't go home, it's, um, there's been a domestic incident, you need to stay here. Hearing that, I did the opposite, I ran home to find out what had happened. Um, and I said, uncle, uncle, what's happened? And he said, I was doing a hucker and someone called the police. So here we have these two worlds apart, sort of in the same place by necessity. And I'm not saying that any one of these people had demons. I don't actually think we need the drama of a demon to create an outcast anymore. We manage to outcast people for a whole host of reasons, whether that's age or gender or lifestyle choices, any, anything really. Um, but in this place for a moment, I encountered God's radical inclusion across a barbecue. Every Friday night, we'd cook up sausages that we'd found somewhere and 
we'd gather with our neighbours. That's no exaggeration. I <laughs> think we did find them somewhere. Um, I ate and I made friends, and I'd write home pretty regularly to tell them how it was all going. And in their mind, I was inspiring, but I wouldn't have said that myself. It's easy to write home and leave out the mundane or the unglorious aspects of your life. And so there was something that maybe they couldn't see in the letters and the phone calls home. I also felt afraid. I spent a lot of time in my room. I kept myself locked away in fear of death, in fear of hurt, in fear of the same people I felt so compelled to go and find. So I kind of have compassion for the town in this story, whether it's the fear of change of the social order or the memory of legion etched in their minds. My own failure to follow the Christ that had captivated me on the marae floor of Levin led me right back to the story again, because it's not the man who heals himself or the townspeople. God acts despite them. He acts through the person of Jesus, which leaves the door open for us. This idea that radical inclusion isn't isolated it's not isolated to this one story in the Bible. It's woven throughout, and we see it in the Galatians reading that was peered in the lectionary with this one, and I'll read that for you now. Galatians 3, 23 to 29. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian, until Christ came so that, we may, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you, know, as many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. All of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So here we see Paul calling the early church to dismantle the barriers that had caused the church to become a place for only some people. Joyce Holiday talks about this as a baptismal formula to be part of Christ meant to be baptized into a new social order where there is no place for divisions based on race, class, or sex. To me, this idea suggests that the power of God to transform those seemingly hopeless situations and the heart of God for radical inclusion is central to who we are as a church. Similarly, the theologian Walter Brueggemann knits these two passages together by saying, Paul's, oh, yeah. Paul's witness is that in Christ we may be freed from all disciplinarians that restrict our lives. Entry into that new life of gospel freedom through baptism is like changing clothes, that is, changing self. In the new life, all of the old classifications and stratifications are eliminated. In the gospel narrative, we see a man from the city who had demons. We we may imagine a contemporary context. Sorry. Um, the, the demons are any form of addiction, drugs, sex, money, power, control, self-promotion. Such demons preclude much of the life that we want to live. But Jesus has the power to give the man a new life of freedom beyond the grip of the demons. The man in his new life is in his right mind. So as I was reading this and reflecting on this idea, I remembered another story where I'd seen this radical inclusion of God in the face of modern-day demons. A few years ago, I was in Chicago. Here I am, for evidence, next to the bean and my favorite hoodie. Anyway, um, I, a friend offered to show me around his neighborhood. Here he is. His name is Terence. And he told me about the area as we drove around. The place had been outcasted and hidden aside, and it was a predominantly black neighborhood. It was in the news for all the wrong reasons. It's a little graphic, sorry. Um, 
it had been literally encased in gang violence, meaning that it was the turf of one gang and nobody could cross, uh, cross the lines the gangs had set aside, whether they were part of the gang or not. So drug addiction was also prevalent and drug deals were visible on the street corners. It had become a food desert. That, that means that no one could buy food in the neighborhood because there were no shops. It was not as simple as popping across New Brighton Road to get to Wainoni Pack and Save. They couldn't cross the lines that the gangs had divvied up. And gun violence was so prevalent that no business or service would open up in, in this place. This neighborhood was North Lawndale. But when I visited in 2017, this wasn't the kind of neighborhood that I found at all. So I, went, I found that there was a North Lawndale that was thriving. We ate lunch at a cafe that was connected to a gym. We visited the church and the legal center. And that's when I learned the story of this neighborhood as it is now. Back when it was a food desert or a no-go zone, the church bought every building that I was seeing. They created low-cost low housing, a legal center. They opened a rehab and gave the residents jobs in the shops and in the streets. They even bought in a pizzeria, the best one in the city, that had previously said, nope, we're not going to open in that neighborhood. Um, you can see the church. They've got their Christmas service up here uh, with the animals. I thought it was quite sweet. That's like us as well. So in the face of modern-day demons, in a neighborhood that, been, that had been outcast, scapegoated, considered unclean by our standards, the church in, Law, in North Lawndale had turned it into a place where the outcast was held up at the center of the community. The church in North Lawndale had demonstrated the power of God to transform a seemingly hopeless situation and the heart of God for radical inclusion on what felt like the grandest scale I had ever seen. So what does this mean for us? The act of radical inclusion and God's power to transform seemingly hopeless situations occurs time and time throughout the story of Jesus and the early church. I would go so far as to suggest that it is central to who we are as a church and intrinsically connected to the liberation we see in Luke 4, and a reminder of Luke 4, this is where Jesus declares the spirit of the Lord is on him to proclaim the good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. In the story of the demon-possessed man, we see that Jesus didn't have to travel far to encounter this. And so I think our first challenge is to observe Observe the places and spaces around us. So think back over your week. Where have we been? What roads did we take? What streets did we avoid? Who did we notice on our way? Who did we avoid eye contact with or fail to see at all? And think of the places closest to us, our homes, our church, our dinner table. Who's invited and who isn't there? The second challenge is to extend the invitation of in, in any one of these places just a little wider to fit one more person. And I'm not saying you need to wade into the ganglands of Chicago to do this. It might be one lonely person at your work, your street, or right here that person in your group that doesn't ever have anyone to talk to, and act despite fear of change, despite fear of the other, the memory of past hurt. And then in the words of um, anthropo anthropologist Grace Lee Boggs, we never know how our small activities will affect others through the invisible fabric of our connectedness. In this exquisitely connected world, it is never a question of critical mass. It's always about critical connections. I'm just going to pray to finish. God, open our eyes to see the people around us that we have made other. 
thank you that you have given us the example of Jesus to follow after. Please forgive us where we have failed to do that and help us to see new opportunities. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Steffi. Uh, let's stand.
pray that as we go into this week, we will remember your example and your call and give us courage. And I pray that you would place on each one of our minds somebody to reach out to, to include and to share your love with. Amen. Grab a seat. Thank you, Steffi, for that. So it's a good reminder of the upside down nature of God's kingdom and the call that we have as followers of Jesus to welcome people who are being excluded, so thank you. Um, just a couple of notices I mentioned earlier about quiz night coming up. This is a super fun night. Friday the 8th, no, Friday the 5th of August. Um, so yeah, put that in your diary. We'll get the tickets and all that sorted, but mark it down now, find people to join your team. The other thing is a lot of people have commented they are missing morning tea. I know a lot of people here have already had COVID and so people are keen to start morning tea again after the service. So 
We need to do that. Just a few more people to go onto the morning tea roster and inside the newsletter, it tells you a little bit about what that involves. You bring milk, you bring some baking, and then you pull biscuits out of the cupboard and serve people. This is a fantastic way to meet people. So if you're sort of new around the place, this is a good thing to do because you get to know everyone, you can chat to people. Lovely way to show hospitality. So if you're keen, let Gemma in the office know and she can put you on the roster because we are keen to get that started again. And the other thing we need is tech people. We've got this great, fabulous crew down there. We're looking for a few more people to add to it, people who can do PowerPoint or sound. Um, we would love you to join the tech team. So there's some opportunities to serve in the church. Now, on the back, uh, the nine o'clock people have taken most of them. Here is some things from the garden. There is a wedge of pumpkin, and there is um, a six-pack of broccoli plants that are due to be planted now. So if you are, are needing pumpkin to make some pumpkin soup, grab it on your way out. If you are a keen gardener and you, or you want to give gardening a try, do grab some of the broccoli. And it will be almost planting season and the kids will get into that in the holidays planting so that we can then uh, gift the food. So now as we go into this week, hear this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you now and for all eternity. Amen. Thank you for coming and joining with us. I'd encourage you, stay around. Say hi to someone you might not have met before. Hang around. Uh, you might even want to take someone out to a cafe get to know them a bit better. We'll see you next week.